chaos doesn't end. No, it doesn't. The chaos does not end. Well, it, it helps when people don't, like, do, like, major important stuff when I'm out of town. What? Huh? <laughs> right. It was an accident, and it's not even my fault. It was Patreon's fault. What they... <laughs> what Patreon does is fucking reckless. Ah, yeah. It is. They need to do a much better job of notifying people and explaining how that Discord integration stuff works. There's been too much. There's been too much. In between, right, professional heck, a a WWE wrestler accusing me of libel, a man walking in my garden giving me a leaflet about gardening, which is probably the worst thing that's happened to me in the past several months, right? I had to interact with a man who I don't know, and depending on which club I'm in, that's sometimes okay, but not in my garden. (laughs) Not in my garden. Uh, But anyway, I... uh, His name's Richie, if anyone is... uh, It's on his leaflet. Uh, If anyone is (laughs) interested, contact me. Um, But, my God. So, yesterday at the time of talking, we have soft-launched the uh, Stephanie Sterling Discord. Um, it, a, a launch not quite as soft as you intended wow. it to be. It, it may have had a few uh, a few sharp edges on it. Yeah, so it, it's just got patrons in it at the moment. So I'm not hiding it from anyone else. It's just they shouldn't have been in there either. <laughs> not quite yet, because we were still like setting it up. Yeah, I had had such a hard fucking weekend, right? I had a bunch of work, a bunch of fires to put out. The video game that I still can't talk about yet that I'm writing for had a deadline on that. So I had to write a whole bunch of dialogue. Had the Zelda review. We might talk about the Zelda review. We might. We will talk about Zelda a bit. We may. Um, And that took up a lot of time. Edited late, like way later than I like to edit the Jimquisition. That was like into the wee hours. On Sunday, like super last minute, and I don't fucking like to do that, but Zelda was literally my like entire few days beforehand. Monday was a, a whole bunch of heck because of everything being pushed back so badly. I was filming that morning, fucking in the murder basement, playing around with Manta Force. To be honest, that bit's hardly work. Manta Force! And I was very tired on Tuesday. But I thought, right, I'm going, to imp- I'm going to impress the husband because they've been super busy. But I am going to be productive in a laid back way. I'm going to accomplish a lot, but there's no pressure today. Yeah. No deadlines. No uh, uh, immediate need. No emergencies. So I was working on the Discord, getting stuff set up. I... Decided to do the Patreon thing because if you integrate Discord and Patreon, then patrons can go on and then get like patron bonuses. Like we're just having like a a, a channel just for them, and then they get their name in a different color. You know the usual shit you yeah. do. Um, at no point in the process does Patreon warn you that if you integrate Discord. It will automatically add every single patron with a Discord at once to your server 
regardless of what state that server's in. Which, to be fair, um, mostly due to Phoenix's um, like hard work and excellent planning, the Discord was was had like pretty much everything. It's pretty good shape. It's in pretty it good shape. Needed things yeah. like rules, which I was writing at the same time. I was writing. I started writing the rules after I did the integration, thinking it was mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. And then notification, 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 notification. Oh dear. Um, first of all, we hadn't turned off notifications on every single message yet. So mm. when two thousand fucking people turned up at once, all of whom I must say have been incredibly good humoured and gracious about this. Yeah. Like I was super upset. I felt terrible for them because a lot of people were like, Oh my god, my computer just exploded. Um <laughs> my Discord has just become like a pure mayhem. People were very confused and rightly so. Um <clears throat> I was like I felt terrible for them. I was panicking. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I was fucking angry at Patreon because that is such a reckless thing to do. And, you know, I expected it to cost me a lot of patrons. I would not have blamed anyone for unsubscribing to the Patreon for being bothered like that. Amazingly, uh, a handful of did and then more actually signed up or increased their their thing their their the money so we didn't actually lose anything but i would i was expecting to take a big fucking hit and i i'm gonna like write to patreon to complain i'm gonna write to my mp to complain i'm gonna take this to washington i am not gonna I'll, i'll fucking i'll write to mtv and i'll tell them give jonathan a fucking job you bastards as well while i'm at it while i while i'm at it while i'm fighting for for basic human dignity here um i've had it i i'm not pleased but as i said everyone was very very uh good natured about it um when it's actually properly good and ready and stress tested i'll put out a general um link for it but right now we're mostly keeping it to uh, patrons, uh, people we know, that kind of thing. Not to exclude anyone, just to, like I say, make sure it's all up and running and stress tested and all is well, Alice Klar, um, and that something like that doesn't happen again. Now look, look, Conrad, mm-hmm. it wasn't my fault. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, no, I know this looks like. A classic Steph Sterling situation. <laughs> but this is a Steph Sterling and Patreon joint production. <laughs> they deserve 50% of the credit. They definitely do. Yeah, yeah, for this wild ride. I'll say this as someone who's used Patreon for years as like, it is my primary source of income the way that I have a career. Occasionally they have their little wobbly foibles. Their um, website's dog shit. I, I, a little while ago had a month where my Patreon income was not in my bank account, but also not in Patreon's back end. And that was just a thing that happened to a lot of people one month, and Patreon took like 11 hours to, to answer anyone's questions about it. And that's a fun one when you're like, my money's in the ether. 
yeah, like my entire income isn't there. Like, not something like uh, any company should sleep on, really. Patreon is wonderful. I, I, I owe it me being able to do what I do. Yeah, but that sort of thing is asking for a lawsuit. Like, that's... it occasionally has its moments. Yeah, like you wind, you get, you get enough of the wrong people not getting secure and consistent access to the money that they earned for their living there's gonna be trouble they need to make sure that shit does not happen like elements of patreon are complete tin pot like the website is at times utterly infuriating with how it's laid out and the things it can't do. I've been on Patreon for a decade and I still, when I go to post stuff on mobile, get like a little thing. Yeah, and it does like, it totally works to post stuff on mobile, but for some reason there's a message that comes up that goes, ooh, we see you're on mobile, you're not really meant to use the website on mobile, it might not work. It works perfectly fine, I don't know why that that message exists. You get on better than I do. If I'm not connected to Wi-Fi, it crashes. It says weak signal if I'm out of the house, and then if I try and interact (laughs) with it, it just crashes. And then I get home, I'm on Wi-Fi, it's fine. But, like, if I'm at home, I don't need it as much, because I've got a fucking computer, a personal computer. And I know nobody... I, I'm I'm absolutely certain that there is nobody on God's green earth that actually writes content in their CMS. <laughs> yeah. Right? Everyone writes their content and then pastes it into the CMS. Mm-hmm. And I have, but I have run into situations. I might be adding a few things in segments to a post on Patreon, and it forgets who the fuck I am. It forces me to do some weird CAPTCHA puzzle to log back in and verify that I am me. And I'm not sure what the fuck that's verifying. Yeah. It's a nightmare. Um, God. You know, actually, the software we use for the uh, the back end does something even more inane than that. Because I do the same thing, obviously. I, I write elsewhere, then copy-paste into it. I've had times where that's crashed. Just the website has just crashed like it was its own app. Well, it saw that 7 out of 10. Well, <laughs> I mean, who can blame it? I'm history's greatest monster. <laughs> but yeah, whole whole website crashed. I was doing like some last draft stuff and it actually added quite a bit. Then it crashed. Then I tried to get back into the review and it said, someone's in this post, you can't come in. <laughs> it was me! Mm-hmm. I couldn't get into the post because I was in the post. I was fucking like panicking because the edits I'd made, like for that last bit, were quite extensive. It eventually let me back in, but I hate all things. Anything like technological connected to my job, I fucking hate. Well, welcome to Podquisition, the internet's number one podcast for reviewing services where you put information in text form onto the internet. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we find uh, out whether they're great or perfect. Yeah, and you know, when we run out of those to talk about, we occasionally talk about video games, because uh-huh. sometimes we play those as well. Yeah. Uh, maybe yeah. some. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> one video game, and it's the same one I played last week. I've played but, too much fucking Zelda. But I'm in the same... I mean, Well, not the same boat, because I have not played... 
Yes, I have played too much Zelda, but the amount of Zelda that I have played is significantly less than yours. <laughs> I played maybe five, six hours of Zelda this week, and that might have been too much. If you believe the internet, I've played zero hours of Zelda. Uh, quite quite a, a significant amount of the Zelda fan base do believe, indeed, that I have not played it. Well, um, you haven't sent me a screenshot showing more than eight hearts yet. <laughs> my... Here's, here's my proof for anyone who doesn't believe that Steph is playing Zelda. Um, you 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 sent a message to my lovely wife Jane on Sunday night, being like, "Do you want to do you want to edit the Jimquisition?" <laughs> and my my best understanding is you wanted to play more Zelda. And we're like, "Do you want to do the edits? Want to play actually, more Zelda?" That was the review. That was getting the review in order. Well, now I don't feel bad about being asked to do it. Also, and being on vacation. Oh, I was. <laughs> I really needed it done. I pushed myself, like I said, into the early hours. I mean, no one owed me anything. I was like, if someone's around to like take some of this off me, Mm -hmm. I just needed a base edit that I could then sort of jazz up. I apologize. I assumed based on the you'd been playing a bunch of Zelda all the weekend. (laughs) No, I haven't played Zelda at all. Uh. Ah. If you believe one of the comments, um, (laughs) I got an, uh, an AI to write it for me. Oh my oh, god. I take umbrage with That is an is incredible no, insult. There is no AI that can come up with the turns of phrase and wordplay that I I dish out like free candy. Come on. I know you've been playing a bunch of it. I've been seeing you pop up on the Switch and the little icon that says you're online. I keep forgetting what the light roots or whatever they are called in the depths. But it's not yeah. proof that I haven't played the game. That I called them like lamp. Like tower, I can't even remember what I called it in the review, and I wrote yeah. that. Oh wait, no, they're going to use that as proof that I got an AI to write it. Fuck. <laughs> Zelda fans are like out of their fucking minds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to give you reference for how deep in the weeds I am on this game, yeah. I have done the entire underground. I have lit up all of the light routes or whatever they are underground. I have done all but, I think, two of the shrines. I'm up to 150 shrines out of, I think, 152. Uh, I've done all of the story content. Mm -hmm. I have, like, one outfit I'm trying to find a couple of pieces of still, and then it's just the end of the game, and I think I've put about 150 hours into this game. Hell yeah. In, like, two weeks. I'm I'm, I'm real fucking into it. I don't think I've put in as many as you, but it's it's not going to be, like significantly far behind and for a lot of that time i've not had many hearts because i keep getting distracted because there's so much content like i'll head towards a shrine then there's about 50 diversions Mm -hmm. right and i think it is a testament to the parts of the game i liked certainly enough to give it a really good score of seven right that i found that much to sort of be lured away from by Plus, a lot of the shrine stuff I put into stamina because it's way more of an immediate need for me. Because the hearts are almost there as a joke, the amount of things that can, like, take a dozen off at a fucking time. I remember Breath of the Wild. When the game started, little fucking Bokoblins were hitting me for full damage. I don't consider health much more than a serving suggestion. So I put a lot of it into stamina because I'm climbing a lot more than I'm getting one hit killed by a bokoblin with a stick with a bit of honey at the end of it. 
I'm doing a video about the whole idea that you've got to finish a game. Oh, and my God. everything I said about Redfall is a prime example of why that is one of the most moronic assertions on the planet if you want to defend a game from a review. Yeah. Like, I didn't do a formal review review of this, uh, of, of Tears of the Kingdom, but I put up some impressions, like, the day before the game came out. And, like, I was very open. I was like, I haven't finished this game, not by a long shot, but I feel like... I feel like anyone who played this game could honestly, maybe 12 hours in, have a pretty solid idea how they're going to feel about all of its core elements. Especially if you play Breath of the Wild. Yeah, and that's not to say that this game doesn't have some like ridiculously fun mechanical and narrative surprises as it goes that I think, for me as someone who's really enjoying the game, really elevated the degree to which I was enjoying it. I think that fundamentally, if you have spent a few hours in the underground... Uh, you've gone and done a dungeon, you've done a few hours up in the sky, and you've done a few shrines. I think you have a pretty good package of, like, and, and maybe it's like started engaging with one of the big side quests. You've seen the big elements this game has and can probably extrapolate pretty well how you feel about it generally. I don't think anything in this game outside of a few hours with each of those elements is going to fundamentally change whether... It, it's a direction that you're you're into or not. As someone who generally like really does not enjoy open world games and does not stick with them to their com- conclusion, I there is something about the the fundamental structure of Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom that really fucking grips me, and it's taken a lot of thinking about trying to understand why I feel this way about this game and why I've put 150 hours into it in two weeks and why I don't do this with any other open world game. I think you and, are, well, um, you play Pokemon. Yeah. I do, but even then, like, I'm I'm doing, like, I have a specific objective and I'm doing one thing obsessively because I'm autistic and I'm doing an autism loop of doing the same thing, collecting a thing. But, but like... Yeah, but these are the same... That is a bit of the same yeah. kind of vast, open-worldy... Yeah. Both games are a series of those. You, yeah. You can have many of these objectives to just tick off. So I could see... Because, you know, despite my criticisms, I've been just as engrossed as um, someone with very similar neurodivergences to yourself. I think it does tickle a lot of those things. Yeah. And I think, like, what's what's working for me about it so well, the more I think about this whole formula, is quite how willing this game is to be very consistent about... you. You're allowed to go completely off track, and, like, we're not... Nothing is gated from, like... If if it's caught your interest, you can go follow it, and even if you're, like, very underprepared for it, if you want to bash your head against that problem and do it, you can do it. And that is very satisfying for my specific desire to just keep flitting between things. Without getting too much into specifics, there are some, like, wild things that you can do in this game completely out of order, and I really respect this game's commitment to not stopping you. Mm-hmm. My lovely wife Jane managed to find a very major objective in the sky that was meant to be like a late game plot point that you were supposed to do a whole quest chain to uh, increase the visibility of an area so you could see what you were doing so you could get to this thing. And Jane just like flew in without being able to see what she was doing, stumbled upon the end point, got to a major objective and just like, the game was like, I mean, you got here, sure, let's do it. That not gating anything off has really allowed me to just 
flit around getting tiny little bits of dopamine because I did a thing and a thing and a thing and I'm following stuff in a way that I really enjoy. <laughs> Was anything I said in my review factually untrue? No. no! Then it don't fucking matter, does it? It don't fucking matter what progress I may have made. There's stuff in there I disagree with fundamentally, but, like, nothing in there was factually wrong. I played it every day for two weeks fucking straight. Yeah. Phoenix could tell you how frustrated they were with that. Um, <laughs> no one gives a fuck if you don't finish a game and positively review it. Mm-hmm. One example of yeah. that is Final Fantasy Thirteen. Um, one of my earlier um, controversial reviews didn't like it, said it was bad. Um, people got angry because I didn't beat the final boss. That's it. I'd put. Apparently, that would have changed my mind. Uh-huh. Is if I'd have beaten the final boss and thought, "Wow, wow, that's gone from a three to a ten. Fuck me." But Conversely, I believe it was IGN had an issue with their debug copy and the final disc didn't work. So they just reviewed based on what they played. And because they praised the hell out of it, no one had a go at them. Hmm. It doesn't people don't really care. I feel like this is a game where the way you feel about it is likely to get more you're going to feel more strongly whatever way that is the more of it you play. Like, I'm maybe the outlier on this show in that the more of this game... Like, I really liked a lot of the changes they were making and the changes felt like the things I had been asking for. And as such, the more of it I've played, the more I have liked it. I feel more strongly positive about this uh, Tears of the Kingdom than I did when I started. But I 100% like understand anyone who had small problems and felt them compound the longer they played well yeah it's if you start quite positive then sure as you play that you're going to appreciate that but it goes the other way as well it's basically the same argument like the more you play of something the more it's going to cement your sentiments if you've been playing it for a hundred hours and loving it then yeah you may love more of it. But if you've, especially as a reviewer, if you are being forced to play something, you will just resent it if you didn't like it to begin with. And, I mean, it's not even that I didn't like this game, but I tell you what, if I'd have felt fucking forced to play it for another two weeks every day, I would grow to loathe it. And the review would be a lot more damning because of the mindset because I would have been forced. I mean, you see how many people hate Undertale without playing it because so many people forced Undertale down their throats and said, play Undertale and talk about Undertale and think about Undertale. I fucking love Undertale, but I understand anyone being so turned off by the sense of obligation to it that they don't want to engage. I've talked about this before. There are certain games that I have put off playing for years that I have no doubt I would love that... I felt forced to ha- and expected to have an opinion on and, like, pressured to play, and my psychological response was to go, no, fuck off, and to not play a thing I would probably love. Because, yeah, if you feel like you can't walk away and not engage with the thing, it's going to impact how you feel about it. Yeah. I mean, we've we've 
mention this. I know Conrad and I have had conversations like this going way back, like pre Jimquisition days, let alone Pogquisition. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe the the phrase we came up with was "No, thank you. I do not want to eat any more of your shit sandwich." Because yeah. if you've taken a few bites of a shit sandwich. First of all, I'm going to question why you went back for a second bite, but you don't need to finish the whole shit sandwich to know that it's a sandwich with shit in it. To reiterate, like, I I think there is, with, you know, with this game or with any game, there is an amount that you need to play to reach that threshold of knowing what you oh, think absolutely. about it. And, like, looking at, like, Tears of the Kingdom, I have, like, a really good example of this, is I have a friend who absolutely fucking loved Breath of the Wild, played hundreds of hours of it, started doing, like, challenge runs, trying to do no-hit no runs, trying to do speedrunning tech, got really into Breath of the Wild. And, you know, their first day playing it, like, um, Jane messaged them and was like, hey, how are you How are you getting on with it? And their response was, eh, this just feels like more Breath of the Wild. I was really expecting, like, it to feel more different. And then they went and did the first dungeon and got their first big side quest and were like, oh, my opinion on it has really changed. And they've, like, that has changed. Like, there is a point of you have to play enough to see what the elements are that your opinion will be formed on. But once you've seen those core elements, seen enough of them to to have an opinion that's like, I'm unlikely to see anything in this Mm -hmm. part of the game that is a, like, complete left turn, you know, and, and not playing to the end of a game always leads to a certain degree of risk when you're doing a review of maybe there is something that I have not seen that will change my opinion, but, you know, let's say you've put, say, five, six hours into exploring the underground in Tears of the Kingdom, and it turns out seven hours in, there's a big mechanical change that would change your opinion. I think it's fair to to have walked away at that point and to have not expected a change seven hours in. And to be, you know, if someone says, well, you didn't see X, Y, or Z, to go, the game gave me no reason to think X, Y, or Z was coming. I think that is, like, a valid room for, for critique there. Yeah, I mean, to call back to Final Fantasy Thirteen again, um, one of the big defences of that game that people had was, it gets good 30 hours in. That's not a reasonable prospect for, like, most humans. But as far as, as what you said, Laura, I completely agree. I'm not saying, like, put an hour in and churn out a review. As someone who's not just written their own reviews for many years, but has had um, positions at uh, outlets as a reviews editor, as the one in charge of reviews, I never demanded everyone have to see the credits. I simply had the expectation that they played extensively, that they became familiar with the game's features, that they knew the game well enough to talk with authority on it. And without getting into specifics, like, some of my favourite moments in Tears of the Kingdom, some of the biggest surprises that I love the most, are things that are pretty deep in that game, that are pretty late on. There are some genuinely surprising little mechanical things that I really love. But if someone didn't play the 100 plus hours to reach that point before writing a review, that's totally fair. That is... Not something you should be expected to have to see to have an opinion if before that point you went, it's really not doing enough to sell me. Yeah, and when you, you know, see those sorts of things, like, and, and I don't know what they are, but it is incredibly hard to imagine that if I had a 
fairly negative opinion of the experience up to that point that I'm going to have some complete 180 because of this thing, no. this one thing no, no. that's absurd. No, it's not, it's not going to, you know, it might have moved the needle a little one way or the other, but it's not going to fundamentally change the core of your feelings. I mean, it's right. basically going, I'll tell you what, right? No, 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 no. Keep eating, right? Middle of that shit sandwich, there's a tomato slice. You're going to feel like a fucking moron if you don't get that down, yeah? All of this is true, but I do also want to take just a, like, a little diversion for just a second. Yes, please. I realised uh, last night or this morning uh, with this game that there's a, a machine you can get in this game that's a little auto turret Roomba that's meant to yes. like take things you've made and like automatically go to enemies. Mm-hmm. And here's what I realised. If you put it on a shield, right? And then shield surf, not only is it like a skateboard, like if you put a minecart on your shield and make it yeah. a skateboard, it's a powered Zonai device and you can use your batteries to power your electronic skateboard shield. Uh, and you can use it to like go up hills and things. Uh, that I played 150 hours of that game before realising I could use a Roomba to make myself have an electric motor-powered shield skateboard. Interactions with the shield in general are some of the the cleverest yeah. elements. I think I might have mentioned this last week, but one of my favourite ones with that is um, if you put the sort of bird-shaped glider on your shield uh, and do a shield, like jump as if you were going to shield surf, you go slightly higher than other yeah. shields. People have realised you that slight amount of extra height is enough for you to get into slow motion with your bow from a standing oh, position. Yeah. Oh. And it's the only shield fusion you can do that with. So without needing a ledge, you can just do... A shield surf jump, pull out your bow, be in slow motion, get a couple of shots off. Like, those kind of intricacies have genuinely been really fun to dig into. And, like, when when I posted, like, my, my impressions the day before this game came out, I talked about the fact that despite having the game in front of me, I put it down several days before release because I was like, I don't want to be playing this in a vacuum. I want to be playing this when everyone has it. Because... Finding little things like this at the same time as the rest of the world when I can talk to people about them has been pretty magical and was a thing I realised at some point before release day, like, I wanted to be finding these things when everyone else was. And that has been really nice. Yeah. There are certain games, like, I find that with, um, like, From Software's games as well. Wouldn't want to have played Elden Ring weeks ahead of everyone else. Because being there with everyone and discovering that with everyone and knowing, especially with the asynchronous multiplayer kind of stuff as well, that helps. Um, But yeah, like being part of that community experience of discovering it, there is something special about that. And I, I do totally understand holding back on playing more. Well, and apparently game journalists aren't allowed to be in community with each other to do that (laughs) in those smaller circles. So Yeah, we've all got to keep away. All, all away from each other. Separation of game and journalist. Fucking hell. Like, talking about my actual, like, opinions yeah. on this game, having, like, put as many stupid hours in as I have, I must say, the further I get into this, the more I am really loving the stupid building mechanics. Mm-hmm. Um, now that I have enough battery to justifiably use them a bunch. You know what I've been doing? Because I have very little plot or objectives left to do. I made myself a battle tank. I used a bunch of, like... Um, upturned like uh, sleds and things because they are like a sturdy material to make a a completely walled tank uh, with only one like tiny little entrance I can get in and then on the top of it I put cannons that have auto-targeting turrets 
um, and put a little steering wheel inside, and all I do is I drive up to enemy camps, and I stay inside my armoured tank while all of my auto cannons just absolutely decimate every single enemy that tr as they try to come near me. And I am just a roving menace in an unkillable death tank. And I am earning nothing by doing this. There is no purpose to it. Oh, but you might get a traveler's sword in a chest. I haven't even been going out to pick up the rewards. I've just been the traveling death merchant in my unkillable tank. And it's been a beautiful time. <laughs> I stumbled into the auto builder. Oh, yes. I yeah. did that on stream, actually. I like just accidentally found it. I dropped into that area mm. and made my way all the way over to the item and never lit a bright route the whole way. And later went back and was like, oh, it was right fucking there. How did I not even see that? Yeah. <laughs> um, I do like the the uh, underground a lot. It's my favorite bit. My best yeah. bit is the depths. Having finished the depths, there was a point early on where I was like, is this just going to be pretty repetitive and like not much to see? It genuinely is one of my favorite areas of that game. Yeah. Yeah. I was real pissed to find Ents down there too, but... You know, <laughs> uh, I, I, oh. I like the depths a lot. That navigation through it is, it's interesting. The best armor's down there. The miner's gear. The one that's covered mm. in little oh, bulbs. Oh, the miner's gear is great. The insect antenna that's also got bulbs on it. I have not taken it off since I I love the glow it. bottoms. I found those mm -hmm. and the glow bottoms are, they're adorable. They just look great. I, they're not functionally super, you get some visual range improvement on it. I mean, it, it but... really does help at times. Like, I was falling off... Uh, well, it was a big risk without using bulb arrows. Um, I ran the risk of falling off of ledges that I didn't know were there. But that... It's a nice safety buffer, having that little... I saved thing. the arrows and I just tossed the bulbs. Yes. Yeah. Realizing you could do that saves me so many Oh, arrows. God, yes. Oh, and I've that's... got arrows out the wazoo. I like firing them really far off and making little pockets... The economy of Hyrule. What the fuck? <laughs> there is so much about Hyrule's infrastructure, economy, and, and just general society, where it's no wonder the octopuses that hide under rocks can fuck them all up. Can you craft arrows? Because this is a game where you can make fucking everything else, but you can't make a goddamn arrow. No, but there, there's a bunch of shops that I just do a little loop of buying a bunch of arrows if I need them, but I've so rarely needed them. I appreciate that this game has fucking thrown thousands of arrows at me every second. I've never really had a problem with lack of arrows, and it's been great. I consistently have less than 20 arrows. Uh, are you breaking Are you breaking wooden boxes? Sure, when you see yeah, them? and occasionally I will get a five-pack in there, but almost always, it's, you, know, you get your one. I had a period where I had a drought of them. But over time, I just seem to accrue more. And as I've ended up with a lot of rupees as well, um, I buy them whenever mm. I see them too. Because I use arrows so fucking much. Um, whether it is sort of lighting up distance or just firing off bomb arrows because I do not want to be one hit killed. It's my first go-to is, you know, to attack at range with an arrow. And yes, there are a lot of other practical uses for them. But in terms of combat... That's the first thing I'm going to turn to. And now I'm constantly like, okay, but I'm not going to be able to use this for the entirety of this combat encounter that I'm entering into because I'm going to run out of arrows. 
I find that frustrating. Um, but going to going back a little bit to Steph's review and well and and actually this all this all ties in it all comes together the expectations from the audience all of this conversation comes to being forced to do something whether you enjoy it or not mm-hmm. is irrelevant as opposed to incentivizing i would love if there were more places I, I, I wish enemies dropped money more frequently. That'd be nice. And I would like to exchange that money for food, please. Can I just exchange that money for fully cooked dishes or elixirs or whatever in a convenient... Open a fucking mall, Hyrule. Just let me... Ha- I don't want to cook. I don't want to cook. I stopped playing it the other night. Because I had run out of healing items, and so I traveled back to Lookout, and I'm like, all right, I will stock up. And I have tons of resources. I love collecting the resources. Collecting the resources is great. Yeah. Give me a bin that I can dump all the food items into, and then you make the food (laughs) for me. I don't give a shit how you do it. Don't make me go through that god-awful menu of the inventory to find all of the things that I'm going to experiment with or could experiment with. Give me choice paralysis for the 15th fucking time in the last 20 minutes. That this That's what this game is. It's a choice paralysis engine. Mm-hmm. No, 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 totally. Like, it's it can be very overwhelming. What you've touched on is something I've talked about. I think we talked about it last week as well. Like, when people defend certain elements in certain games by saying it's good because it forces you to. That's exactly what I'm getting. Yeah, Yeah. Nintendo has a huge problem with that where none of the mechanics in their games, they want to be optional. Um, To the point where it can have detrimental accessibility effects, as Laura pointed out with Pokemon Let's Go, when they enforced motion control in that game if the game was docked because they said people wouldn't engage with it if we didn't force them to do it. Which, first of all, have some faith in your systems. Second of all, if you feel they're not compelling enough without us being forced to engage with them, make them compelling enough. And third, just don't force us. Just don't. Well, I think in a lot of ways the perspective on that might be we think this is so cool and we don't want anyone to miss it. Right. Like there's a positive spin on that where it's like I can absolutely see someone being so high on their fucking supply that they insist everybody get to bear witness to the thing they think is great. Yeah. And it's not always great. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's just not. But the game is good. Like the game's good. I I, it's it's the same thing as what happened with Breath of the Wild. Like people think I hate it and, and and I don't. I and I'm. Like, it makes me happy to see Laura loving it so much. Yeah. Like, because, well, I, I love watching, like, streams with Laura when she's doing Pokemon stuff. Like, I love your Pokemon, like, shiny stuff. Yeah. Like, that's really good. So that kind of enjoyment, like, I get I get envious of it. Like, I always say that when I don't like a, a, a game and a lot of people love it, I'd much rather love something I'm playing yeah. than hate it. I, yeah. I get no one wants to dislike no, a thing, yeah. Exactly. It's a good game. Uh, <laughs> my place, I'm sort of settling on on this because, like, I'm I've put enough into this that I'm like I've basically done everything. Like, there's some side quests I haven't found, and some side adventures and stuff, and there's things I want to go back and 
finish up, but like, this is probably gonna be one of my favourite games of this year. Like, right now, I'm looking at the, like, two very diff- very different games. It's this and Hi-Fi Rush are the things that are, like, really, have just really done it for me this year. And I don't argue with a lot of the points you've both made about quality of life and about certain design decisions that, like, I totally get why they're frustrating. For me, my takeaway has been those things have sort of paled in comparison in how I feel about this mm-hmm. game when set alongside the fact that this has created a really compelling loop that I have just desperately craved and soaked up being in this world. Right. Like, it is it is so rare that I... Like, with someone... Like, my very specific... Uh, cocktail of neurodivergences. Often, I will be loving a game and just get distracted by the next shiny-looking thing and forget to finish what I, like that game that I was having a great time with, and I'll flip to something else, and I'll jump from game to game and not stick with something. And I do this with stuff that I fucking love. Like, um, God of War Ragnarok took me so fucking long to finish because I kept stopping and playing something else and forgetting to come back to it. Like, I kept getting sidetracked despite loving it. It is a testament to this game that I have spent two weeks basically doing nothing but playing this game. And, like, not in the I am feeling a compulsion and I can't put it down, but in a I am constantly finding things that are surprising me and loving my time with it. And genuinely, 150 hours in, I'm sad that I'm coming up towards running out of stuff to do. And... That's not going to be everyone's experience with this game, but I'm having a great time with it's it. It's one of the best kinds of games. Mm-hmm. When you're yeah. sad that it's nearly done and you just don't want to leave. Yeah. And I never feel this way about long games. I never feel this way about things where it's like, I've put 150 plus hours in. I wish this was longer. Mm-hmm. And I know that not everyone's going to feel that way about it, but I genuinely wish I had more more Tears of the Kingdom. Did you feel this way about Breath of the Wild? Um, less so with Breath of the but Wild. But you got what you wanted in the end then. Because they made Tears of the yeah. Kingdom and, yeah. On- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, that's where I've sort of settled, is that they, 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 made a v- they made a new version of Breath of the Wild that, like, Breath of, Breath of the Wild... Like, I've been trying to think about the differences of how I feel about Breath of the Wild in this, and... I think a big part of why I feel differently about it is Breath of the Wild felt a lot more transparently to me. Like the point of playing was do the do the divine beasts, get your good armor, do the shrine so you have health, go to the end. And it didn't feel like there was stuff that felt compelling outside of that. Mm-hmm. Like I there were a lot of side quests in that game that I just never engaged with because the game hadn't made me feel like that was something worth my time to do. And in Tears of the Kingdom, even when a side quest has like a kind of pitiful reward, like like a little side quest, the, the side quests with like pitiful rewards don't take much time to do and sort of lean on narrative to be like, ah, oh, I learned something about the world and feel like I changed it a bit. That feels like it was worth it even if the reward wasn't much. Conversely, the ones with big rewards are like telegraphed up front and feel worth it in that regard. It's felt like such a more alive world that I keep I've really enjoyed the, oh, I spoke to an NPC and found out there was a whole little thing I didn't know about. And those moments of discovery, I, I want to keep having. Because mm-hmm. I really like how this version of Hyrule 
feels as a living world I can tangibly have an impact on. And I'm glad that I've had that experience. And that kind of outweighs any of the on-paper critiques I would have, I think. I'm glad you had that experience. Like, yeah. And I think it's good that you've been on the podcast. Because yeah. even though there is a lot I like about it, I... I think it would have been an hour of me and Conrad just proper slagging it off. Yeah, yeah, truly. And and it's I I still don't feel like a sense of investment in this. It is the the sort of thing where I encounter a thing that I'm not enjoying and I just turn it off. And the worst part about that is, is that when I load the game again, I'm just faced with the same thing that made me turn it off in the first place. Um but I can see, I understand why people love this. Mm. Like, it makes sense to me. Oh, yeah. And I don't think they're wrong. I do think it is a tremendous waste of my time. And that's very fair. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I don't have much, like, I don't value my time. That's that's the thing. <laughs> that should be made abundantly clear. Well, no, you've been chasing um, animals around. I me. was. Oh, yes, I was. Ch- I was. I was chasing chasing wabbits oh that's awesome you've literally of course you don't play tears of the kingdom you're literally like out in the wild chasing animals already (laughs) yeah yeah we went up to the family farm this weekend linda's never even been to a farm so this was a big new experience for her and um we have we've we've got a fair bit of fair few animals on on there now there's uh they've got a bunch of little piglets and um a bunch of the bunnies just had babies, so there were a lot of little baby bun buns, and there were duckies, and you know, and chickens, and some some had a cattle, and sheep, goats, that sort of stuff. Um, but they had my cousins. My the way that my farm, my family farm is set up. I have um, there are two houses on one side of the property, and then my cousin built his own house on the other side of the property like four years ago and this this was good this was smart because now he doesn't have to live with all of the rest of them and that's just great but he has um over on his side they've got kids and so they have animals that are just there to hang out with the kids and they have these domesticated rabbits uh two girls and a boy and they keep them in separate little hutches so that they don't have an overwhelming number of rabbits and one night while we were there the the girls dug under the hutch and got out and so i got to spend (laughs) you know anytime i was outside i got to spend you know chasing after rabbits and trying Aww. to get them caught. And I almost, almost got... I, I had it held, but it just wriggled out from under me as I was trying to get it back into the the hutch. But that was fun. And they're just they're just not scared enough of humans to make it interesting. Right. You know? They let you get what, just close enough. Yeah, yeah. And it, it it's... Yeah, they'll let you get real, you know, pretty close. And then... And one of them was just, like, super confident. He's like, nah, bitch, I'm, I'm eating dandelions. <laughs> This whatever. Oh, six inches now. Okay, we're just gonna take a couple steps. Oh, hey, dandelion. All right, I'm just gonna chill here. And so I'm just constantly like step creeping on this rabbit. Great fun. Oh, mate, tell me, please tell me at some point you went. Shh. 
be very quiet. <laughs> no, I, I'm terrified of legal action on a part of Warner Brothers. Oh, so uh, I, yep. Yeah, I need you to know. know that. I'm really pleased with my Elmer Fudd, but I've that got was a very good there. Fudd. Yeah, it was a very good Fudd. They only you you, you gently somewhere. eased it in real nice. <laughs> And that was most of what I did this week was was yeah. hang out with animals and be on a farm. Um, and that was good. I did play one game because, you know, my cousin has kids and, mm-hmm. you know, he was a gamer growing up. I, maybe that's not the right word. No, he was not a gamer growing up. He played video games. Yeah, gamers up. have never grown up. Right. They had, you know, in television. You know, we, we're all big nerds in my family. Mm-hmm. We all did the role playing thing. As kids, you know, D&D was a big part of all of our lives. That's just the way it is. So he's continued to be interested in games and he's sharing them with his kids now. And and that's cool. I think the oldest is nine. Yeah, I think the oldest is is nine now. Uh, So nothing too advanced. But uh, there was a game that they were all playing when I came back inside from uh, Chase and Rabbits called Boomerang Foo. This is a a little arena style game for uh, it's on all the platforms apparently, and it's got a free version uh, on the PS5 or yeah I think yeah which has plenty of content in it, but you get to play as uh, food items in this very cutely visually designed and animated world, and you are armed with a boomerang. And the boomerang can be swung like a little knife or thrown. And when it's thrown, you also get access to a kick move so that you're not completely defenseless waiting for the boomerang to come back to you. But that's really all it is. It's it's pretty straightforward and simple. There's a power-up that'll pop up on every stage that will give someone an advantage. And they last for several levels. You make your boomerang explode and so now it has an area effect when it uh reaches the end of its travel and could take out multiple enemies there's a an ice boomerang that will freeze an enemy that it hits which is interesting because like if the boomerang hits them they kill them anyway but that can be used at the same time as the explosive boomerang so there's an explosive yeah. ice thing which again I don't know how practical that is, because if it exploded and it hit them, it probably killed them. But if they have a shield, they'll be frozen in place, so you can go in and get the second hit. It's uh, it's light, it's quick, it's great for kids. Um, we had three children and myself playing it, and they were, like, they're aged 9, 7, and uh, 6, I think. Or 9, 8, and 6. Somewhere in there. And everybody can play it. You know, it's, it's just not... That there's not that much to it, um, and and then you know the oldest, the older ones, me and the nine year old. When I say the older ones, me and the nine year olds have to wind up in a sort of pitched battle of how do we convince these other smaller children to gang up on the other one so that we can score the points <laughs> and win the you know the game. Yeah, it it's fun. It's cute. I think it's free in a lot of places. It it is fifteen bucks, which yeah, when when you consider that we've ultimately devalued so many indie games, that's yeah, it's probably fair. But it's been around for like four years, and it's it's cute and it's good and actually worth checking out if you need something light uh, in a party game setting. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyone played anything else this week, or should we get a couple of bits of news out? I and... have played one other game. I haven't played very much. Well, I was saying I was going to say I haven't played very much, so I won't talk about it much. But then that never stopped me talking about Breath of the Wild and oh. uh, Tears of the Kingdom, <laughs> did it? Because I've never played those. Um, no, I've played. I've been looking forward to this game coming out. Um, I was quite excited. Uh, it is called Bolt Gun Warhammer Forty K Bolt Gun. It is what if Warhammer Forty K but Doom. Given it like proper old school Doom like graphics, like sprite graphics, first person shooter, you are a space marine clomping about, just chainsawing and bolt gunning chaos cultists and the occasional marine and demon. It is exactly what it sounds like. It is Doom with a Warhammer forty k uh, flavor, a little more advanced than that. You've you've got like a couple of little sort of toys with it the way the chainsaw works is you hold down the left trigger and when an enemy is sort of in range and you're looking at it it'll be highlighted in red then you let go of the trigger and you will just like lunge halfway across the map and just like chainsaw them and they'll explode into like jibs it uh reminds me quite a bit of proteus uh that that mm. similar uh game that came out um not too uh, long ago, uh, well, out of early access, not long ago. Um, similar gore as well, just just people exploding um, and blood going everywhere. Um, there are two things I really like about it, though. Um, none of them really mega gameplay related, but the armor pickups. You don't pick up armor. You pick up contempt because armor, their contempt mm-hmm. is their armor. The other one is there is a dedicated button to just yell things about heretics and the emperor. <laughs> you just press a button and like he'll either sort of uh, beat his own palm with his fist or like point at enemies and just be like, heretic in the name of the emperor. Like loads of it as well. Like I've been hammering that button and I think I've only heard like one or two repetitions. It's clearly where all their sort of um, time and effort went was just how many of these uh, phrases can we assign to the taunt button and as near as I can tell it doesn't do anything except add flavour and yet I keep doing it I keep risking like taking damage because I have to point <laughs> at a chaos space marine and call him a heretic um, so that's incredible fun I can't tell if I like how much they nailed the feeling of the player being a space marine Mm. because i'm playing on the ps5 and you know they've got the sort of different ways the controller can vibrate yeah it's vibrating at that frequency that some vibrations just have the kind of light vibration that's constant enough that it makes your skin kind of tickly and as you're walking like if you if you're sprinting in this game if you toggle sprinting on Every footstep makes the controller shake because you're a space marine in power armor. So every footstep is like a big shuddery stomp and the camera wobbles just a tiny bit and there's a big stompy noise and the controller shakes and it is awesome. But my hands get weird and tickly. Um, I'm not sure how much of it you can turn off. I've not dicked around too much uh, in the settings. 
But they did nail it. They did nail the sort of big, heavy feeling that you'd get as a space marine. But I'm just very charmed by it. It's not breaking the mold. It's not wowing me. I'm not like utterly mesmerized by it, but I'm very entertained. I'm very entertained by, uh, by what if Warhammer 40k but Doom. Lovely idea. Um, I'm really enjoying it. It is very silly. I'm glad. So we got a couple of little bits of news we can talk about this week that are, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they are what they are. We'll, 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 we'll jump right yeah. in. Have you heard previously people make the comparison that if, if a crime is punishable with a fine... It's not illegal, it's just the price of doing it. Like, it's not illegal for rich people. Yeah, it's the cost of business, yeah. Yeah. So we had probably the most clear-cut example of that I've seen in fucking years happen this week. Yeah. Activision Blizzard got in some trouble uh, with Peggy, the uh, the European Games Ratings uh, Board. Basically, their enforcement committee was like, hey, you did not disclose... In your, like, you know, when Peggy was rating your game, that it had, uh, and this is specifically about Diablo Immortal, you didn't disclose up front as part of the Peggy rating that it had loot boxes in it. The game had undisclosed loot boxes, and that's a problem. Um, So Peggy's enforcement committee was like, we are going to look into this, and you are probably going to be issued with a fine for not properly declaring... You know, for not following our our rules of how you're supposed to deal with loot boxes. You know how... If, I don't know if either of you have seen this story. Do you know how much they got fined? Yes, I do. Uh, I do not currently know. Oh, st- oh, that's wonderful, Steph. <laughs> I want you to guess and I want you to guess a number. Um, just, just it's in euros, euros, but like throw out a throw out a number. It's in euros, and keep in mind that this is the cost of compliance for. Loot boxes in ABK yeah. games. Yeah. Okay. I. It needs to be proportional to the amount of money that they're making. Realize. <laughs> now I am. I'm prepared for it to be even lower than this. This is one of those. For all of us, it's a massive amount of money for them. It's a drop in the ocean number. Right. So I will go with two million. <laughs> <laughs> Having, I know, oh, no, Steph. Oh, bear Steph. in mind, oh. I am prepared for this to be. Oh, I don't involved. know how prepared you are, Steph. Oh, your your optimism, your sweet, sweet optimism. Steph, I need you to. I need you to guess a lower number. <laughs> I really do need you to guess. Okay, a lower I'm giving you no info other than you need to guess lower. I'm enjoying this, so I'm gonna go one million. <laughs> You're gonna need to go lower, I'm afraid. Lower? Yeah. Am I going lower? We only have okay. look. Five, we only have we only have so much time. Five hundred thousand. Getting Down, warmer. Lower. But twenty. Twenty-five thousand. You are lower. You are getting warmer. Ten thousand. Oh, you're almost there. Lower. Nine. Not quite. Almost lower. There. Eight. Keep going. No, take your father. How? Don't worry. What is it? It's five thousand euros. It's fu- fucking five thousand euros. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was it. That's some of the most fun I've ever had doing the like ever like talking about Activision yeah. Blizzard news. That is, it's disgusting, and I am infuriated. But it's the most fun I've had being disgustedly infuriated. <laughs> and and yeah. now in Peggy's defense of this 
it, it, yeah. as you say, as you rightly say, it would sink any of us, right? It is yeah. a pretty severe I, yeah. punishment for a low to mid level publisher to have to lose five grand. And I can speak from experience when I say there is pressure to get your Peggy information right, right? Yeah. But I will also say that if you are a smaller developer or publisher, Peggy will let you know you fucked up and let you fix it and not fine you. I'm glad they went for the fine. I like I'm I'm pleased that they did that and I think the fines could be significantly higher if they wanted them to be because the way their enforcement seems to be set up they're only going after egregious offense. So raise the fine. We'll be yeah. fine. Don't listen to a lobbyist tell you it's going to stifle business because it's not. It's just going to punish people who want to take advantage of your system. Yep. I will say one other thing for this, and like it is, it is context that we probably should add to that five thousand number. Not that I think it's going to change anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it has it has come along with uh, Peggy requiring uh, Activision Blizzard and also another studio ply on that also got a five thousand euro charge for the same thing. Uh, they are required to take immediate action to update relevant store listings and marketing materials. But, like, there's nothing to say that if they do this again, the fine will be different. Right. Or that they have to commit to changing things going forward. And that's the problem here. Is that without those, you have basically told Activision Blizzard, you can put out a game without following our rules and the cost of doing business is 5,000 euros. And with for a game like Diablo Immortal, where we know how fucking ridiculous that game's microtransactions are, I feel like they're gonna look at that and go, "Yeah, cost of doing business." I, oh, I have no doubt. If there is not something in place to say repeated infractions will lead to something, but there isn't now. Yeah, but there, I think there is only so far you can push that, and this isn't the ESRB. Peggy actually has some power. I would say they shouldn't push their luck. It would be smart to not push their luck because they got a pretty sweet deal as it is. And they managed to get up. But yeah, if if they are uh, compelled to try to exploit this loophole to, I do, it'll lead to regulation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that's, that's that story. Um, I'm so glad you didn't see that. Yeah, that's, Top tier. Uh, it's it's one of my favorite things about this show is knowing that you're not gonna read the like one sentence description of the news stories in the in well, the I chat before you record. Like what mm-hmm. day it is, and then I'm like fifteen it's, minutes late to the recording. It's great because it means there's at least one person I can I can do the oh you've not heard. Yeah, like I normally do my news sweep like a uh, couple of days after. Wednesday's your your your, your blank spot. Yeah. <laughs> Another similar story we'll just quickly gloss over, just because these stories are going to be more and more frequent as time goes on. Um, Nintendo is currently being sued uh, 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 as part of a class action lawsuit over randomized loot boxes. Uh, This time we're talking about Mario Kart Tour, which was the mobile Mario Kart game they did, where you could unlock characters and outfits and whatnot by 
spending real money for gems to get a thing pop out of a warp pipe that might be the character you needed. And basically, some kid spent $170, £137 in the game using his dad's credit card, and now, like, hey, th this game's system is basically just like gambling, and maybe you shouldn't have adv like advertised a thing at kids that had gambling mechanics yep. in it. Of note, that mechanic is not in Mario Kart Tour anymore. It is now a game where you just pay money for the character you want and get the character that you paid for. But the fact they removed that mechanic, I think, suggests... Yeah, they realised there was a optics problem with them as the, like, perceived family-friendly game publisher yeah. having these mechanics in their game and that, like, it was going to be a bad look for them. So yeah, just more stories mounting up of kids overspending their parents' money on loot boxes and parents going, hey, can I sue you for getting my kid addicted to video game gambling? There have been so many now. Like, the bold-facedness with which game publishers continue to defend what they do with it's optional, it's we've got safeguards, and time and time again it's been proven that these things are dangerous. And they're in games rated for children as young as three. We regulate so much content. So much content. But that gets a free pass. And, and it is shocking. It should work. It's not shocking insofar as we're all used to it. But when you take a step back and try and look as objectively as possible, the idea of loot boxes being in something like, say, FIFA, is shocking. Kids play that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this is why, like, I bring these stories up on this show, even though, like, I know it's not going to surprise either of you that a thing like this has happened. There's not going to be news to either of you. But it feels important to not stop talking about it and to be like, it's really easy to get desensitized on these things and to be like, no, it's still happening. Parents are still waking up to find their bank account empty because their kid overspent a bunch of money in a game that basically pumped gambling mechanics at them until they got addicted and got a hold of money to continue being addicted to gambling. Like, we can't forget that that's happening. No. And that that's a thing we need to, like, not accept is just normal. That should be as shocking every time it happens. Yes. I've, I've always tried to, like, maintain that. The normalisation is one of the, the most insidious parts of it all. Which yeah. is why I have spent 10, well, like, 12 years, I think, now being just as dis disgusted, just as shocked, just as angry that basic microtransactions are in full-priced games. I've maintained yeah. that level of indignance from the start because that wasn't acceptable, and I don't care how far they push the envelope, because when, you, when they push the envelope and you accept where they were, they've just gained ground. And I realised, yeah. you know, folks like us, it's a losing battle. They won. They they normalised yeah. so much awful, evil shit. But I'm not going to stop. Scream, I'll scream about it to the grave. The people who have been around prior to this being the norm need to go, the industry can exist without this. There was a time where it did. Yeah. They used to just make games and sell games, did these game makers and sellers. Yeah. The last one we got this week, and this is just... A little update on a, a story I think we we touched on a little bit when it, when it happened. So 
I've talked about the fact I stopped playing Pokemon Go ages ago because, like, its monetization got really gross and, like, they made some really unfortunate choices around, like, accessibility for disabled players. Uh, specifically, disabled players since that game launched have been talking about, hey, we want some way to be able to play from home. You know, if, say, I'm immunocompromised or I can't go for long walks or things like that or I live in a rural area. And when the pandemic happened and everyone had to stay home, suddenly Niantic was very okay with implementing things that would be very helpful, particularly things like remote raids. You could do raid battles without physically going to them. And the, a couple of weeks ago, Niantic announced that they were basically rolling back all of that stuff. Um, like, heavily nerfing the ability to raid remotely, the distances that you could do things remotely. Basically, trying to pressure people into playing outside again. Uh, saying fuck you to anyone that, like, can't go play outside. Again, coming back round to that forcing uh, ways of playing a game on people, regardless of how ableist it might be. At the time, there was a lot of pushback from the community on this, and like very, very vocal pushback. And Niantic basically, publicly at least, ignored the the criti criticism. Um, rumblings I heard behind the scenes were that there was an official stance of don't acknowledge it, we're not backing down. And... We finally had a official response to this from someone at Niantic, but it comes in the context of, uh, there are people online bullying my staff, so I guess I'll say something, but you're all the bullies and how... It's one of those little responses, but basically, their response is, we're taking the game in this direction and we know that's upset you, but... I'll, I'll read the quote, this is from Michael Starenka. I know that many of you are frustrated with some of our recent decisions, but just know that we see the feedback and are thinking of ways to address many of the valid concerns without sacrificing on our mission and vision for Pokemon Go. And that mission and vision is you you have to go outside and play it around groups of people. That is what they fundamentally want of that game, and they don't care if disabled people have to, like cannot play anymore. And that really is the message. Their vision is exclusion of disabled people. Yeah, their vision for the game is more important than disabled people being able to play. Yeah. And, like, there is no getting around that that is the vision, and they're like, look, we're listening, but, like, we're not going to fundamentally change the fact that if everyone has to stay inside, yeah, you can play from home. If it's only disabled people, fuck them. Go outside. Yeah. That really is the case. It's fuck them. Yeah. And, and to be fair, like... I do not support the people who have harassed or hassled any individual people working at Niantic or, like, any any abuse or threats or anything towards anyone working at Niantic. Fuck off with that shit. But, also, Niantic, you are putting money ahead of disabled people, and that sucks. Yeah, that's that's so. where I land on on this sort of thing, too. I, I, I This is all the first time I'm hearing of basically any of this. And... You know, I I can see where they're coming from. I I but and and it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that that they seemingly are not interested in addressing uh the ability of disabled people to play the game. It is and and on the other side now it is exactly what I would expect of the uh fan base to react in this fashion and that is uh unfortunate too. There's no good guy here. Although, if I had to pick someone I'm going to be on the side of, and I hate that you're doing this to me, Internet. 
Leave them the fuck alone. If you don't like what they're doing with their game, please feel free to say so and then... And I, I can't say go outside because that's what they're trying to make people do. But, like, do something else. The The only other thing I think I'll add to this is I think it's worth noting that if this if the pandemic had never happened, if they had been like, this game is about you going outside and playing, and they had never listened to disabled people's concerns and just been like, this is just what the game is, I don't think the same degree of frustration would be. I, yeah, I agree, yeah. I think there there is something to be said for the frustration of, oh, so you can make this game playable from home, but only when it matters to people who aren't me. Yeah. And I think that like there there is something to be said for Niantic is kind of burying their head in the sand about the fact that the reality is you demonstrated this game could work with being played from home, you made that adjustment, and you want to pretend that you never did. Yeah. You want to pretend that the game has only ever been playable outside, which is a genie you can't you, you can't conveniently put back in the bottle. Uh, all this to say, hey, apps like iPokeGo, I think it's called, or iPogo, uh, let you play from home remotely and just pretend you're somewhere else with a little analog stick. So like, hey, if you're disabled, I know Niantic doesn't want you using those apps, but like, they're really fucking easy to use. There's there's a bunch of good GPS spoofing Pokemon Go apps out there that's worth knowing about. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, I'm glad that a solution has been found. Yeah, there there are alternative apps you can look into. I can point you towards stuff that isn't the official app because honestly, if they're going to take away your ability to play from home, I'm going to point you towards unofficial stuff that lets you do it still. Absolutely. Um. So yeah, that's it for news this week. I think we did a show. We're done. Fabulous. Yeah. We certainly did. Uh, speaking of did, Laura, I know you did things. I did I do things. Did them. Don't deny it. Well, oh, I'm not denying. Things? Well, you can find me at Laura K Buzz in all the places on the internet. Like anywhere where there's a username, I'm probably Laura K Buzz there. The big one, it's coming up in about two weeks, the Access Ability Summer Showcase. Uh, it's going to be taking place on June 9th at 4pm UK, 11am Eastern, 8am Pacific. Hey, do you like the idea of one of those like E3 style things where you find out about upcoming games that look cool, but they're all games that are making an effort to be playable by disabled players and that will openly talk about their accessibility stuff when showing you the game so you know whether it's going to be a game you can play. Look forward to that. I've been working real hard on this. It's a project I want to do for a couple of years. It's coming up in like two weeks. Please check it out. It's going to be on twitch.tv slash laurakbuzz. There will be versions with uh, British Sign Language, American Sign Language, and audio descriptions uh, that will be premiering at the same time on youtube.com slash Uh it's, it's basically two weeks away. I would love if people checked it out. Uh, what about you, Conrad? Oh, you can find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter and Instagram. You can hang out with me live on Twitch at twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman. Uh, you can buy anti-capitalist propaganda that I make at mercenarycreative.com. And everything I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? Who? James Stephanie Sterling. Oh, shit. Oh, hi, hi, hi. It's true. It is true. I can confess it at last. It is true. I have a Patreon. They tried to say I didn't, and I said, yes, I did. And they went, oh, fair enough. What's the URL? And I went, it's patreon.com slash jimquisition. And they went, oh, I might sign up for that. And I said, yes, bloody good idea. Why don't you do that? And then they had their Discord integrated and got dumped into a Discord <laughs> server. <laughs> then, they, then they unsubbed and they were right to do it. Um, actually, no, like I say, 
barely anyone did. And I, when I mean yeah. barely, I mean like three or four. Uh, and, and then that was made up for because everyone like largely like 99% of people were so good about it. So thank you all so much um, for that. Um, just thank you all in general. Like I've had some, just some really welcome support and lovely messages lately. And, and I really appreciate that. Um, just thank you everyone. I'll just give my next, well, I'll give that quick litany of wrestling dates, uh, June 8th, York, uh, true grit wrestling June 9th head is the name of the bar that's in Manchester. That's an evening with commander Sterling June 10th. 10th is Pride of the Ring. That's in Blackpool. PCW. I actually have a ticket link for that. Buy tickets.at slash PCW. I'm in the main event. I'm defending my women's title. It's going to be good. And then June 11th, um, Manchester again. And that's Sovereign Pro Wrestling at SovPro uh, on social media. Um, that's it. Thank you again so much. Uh, I really appreciate the support and everything. Um, we'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.